Hey friends, Harrison here, and I cannot believe it's been a few years since we started this podcast. One of the things that we get asked about a ton is what training plan should I follow? And so we've decided to develop our own and get it into an app that you can download. So if you're looking for a plan that's interactive, that you can not only see which miles to run, but which strength exercises to do and watch videos and be able to have a checklist system that will literally walk you through the plan and help you keep track of your progress, we've got you covered. Go ahead and click on the link in the description to get started. You're going to have a seven-day free trial. Give it a shot. Let us know what you think. And good luck. Have fun out there, guys. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everyone, Harrison here again with another in the car series. Just finished up at the gym and uh, excited to bring you another message, something I've been thinking about for a while post-marathon, and that is how not to hit the wall. And I say sort of because um, I think there's always going to be some level of quote-unquote the wall, depending on how you define it. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm going to share today some things that really changed the running game for me. Um, So we'll get into that in just a second. But before I do, I want to take a minute to say to you that I'm planning on taking on two runners to coach. Now, I'm not a certified running coach. It's not something that I do professionally, um, but it, it is something that I really enjoy. And I've worked with some people in the past to help them get through their first marathon. Um, and the only reason I'm really doing this is is because I enjoy it. So because of that, I'm discounting it heavily. It's, it, I, you know, you're not going to find if you work with me that I'm charging what a professional running coach would charge. So I just want to throw that out there. If, if you're interested, I do have a little bit of uh, free time in my schedule where I want to take on a couple of uh, folks that I can um, that I can help coach to the, the marathon. So if it's your first and you want someone to help you stay accountable, um, maybe help you with a training plan or share share with you tips to be uh, healthy at the start line and to successfully get to the finish line, just reach out to us on Instagram at crummy marathoners, uh, or you can email us hello at crummy marathoners.com. All right. So everybody, what is the wall? So here's what runner's world says, because, you know, runner's world is like the ultimate, uh, <laughs> running coach. So here's what it says. What does it mean to hit the wall during a marathon? The Americans call it bonking. And by any name, it's a pretty awful experience. When you hit the wall, it feels like you have run face first into a stack of bricks. Your legs start feeling like concrete posts. Every step is a triumph of will. And you seriously doubt that the race actually has a finish line. So I can totally relate to that, uh, especially the part about doubting if there's a finish line. Um, It goes on to say, why do some runners hit the wall? And I'm not going to read you this whole article, but There is a a technical piece of information here that I think is important for you to understand. So in general, hitting the wall refers to depleting your stored glycogen and the feelings of fatigue and negativity that typically accompany it. So if you haven't heard our episode with Kelsey Beckman, this was back uh, about a year ago when we talked to Kelsey. She is a pro runner and dietitian, and she talked about all the kind of technical reasons why you might hit the wall 
and how to avoid it from a nutritional standpoint. So please go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. If you have heard it, I recommend going back and listening to it again. I'll tell you that there are times that I'll go back and listen to it. I've probably listened to that episode two or three times myself just because every time I do, I, I learn something new, um, specifically about uh, you know hydration and fueling and all that good stuff. Um, I could share all that with you, and I will share a little bit here in a second. Uh, but she just she says it so much better than I do. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, that would be helpful to you. So from a personal experience, that's what I'm sharing with you today. I'm sure there's different sensations that people refer to when they talk about hitting the wall. Um, but I can only ex- speak to my experience. I've had two distinct experiences with Marathon. So I've now done three. And I'll describe both and kind of tell you the difference between the first type which I experienced in my first marathon and the second type, which I experienced in my second and third. Um, So let's talk about the first type of quote unquote wall that I have hit. And that was my first marathon where I truly felt dizzy. So my head was kind of spinning and tingly. Um, Everything went kind of real, real bright outside. And it was a sunny day, but it's, you know, that feeling when you go lightheaded and everything starts to get kind of, kind of white. Um, and it was a true panicky feeling of how am I going to finish this race? I've already, you know, been talking it up to my friends and my family. I've worked so hard for this. I have a purpose to finish this in honor of my mother. Um, what is going to happen at the end of this race? How am I going to get through to the end? Truly a, a, a fight or flight type of, of feeling. Um, and I had to stop and I had to resort to a really slow walk, like for five miles. So it took my time that I had projected and really slowed it down. And so then that was a bummer. And it was just kind of walk run intervals till the very end, but mostly walking. So very, very frustrating. And I, I would say that's one of the single most uh, driving reasons for me to want to continue running marathons was because I felt like I had failed from, you know, from a, a, a bonking standpoint, and I really wanted to prove that I could do it the right way. So um, the second type was all, uh, well, let me, let me say it this way. The second type was kind of, kind of the opposite. Like, I didn't feel the lightheadedness. I didn't feel the dizziness. Um, but, of course, I did feel like tired, very fatigued. So my mind was telling me to stop. But for some reason, I had it in me to kind of keep going. But my my muscles did not want to keep going. It was that feeling where, you know, uh, if you go to the gym and you start doing, let's just say squats, and your legs are really tired and shaking. And, you know, you, it's like one more rep and, and you just, your body is having a hard time moving itself. Whereas you could have easily done it you know, a few minutes prior. And that's, that's kind of how the second type of hitting the wall was for me, just a kind of a, kind of a, a physical muscle fatigue, but it wasn't me feeling like I was going to pass out. So I hope that's, I hope that makes sense. Kind of the difference between those two types of, of bonking. Um, you know, the second one was much more manageable. It's a mental battle with every step, but doable. Right. And, And yes, I did have to slow my pace substantially towards the end, Um, but I still was able to run through it till the very end. So what I want to share with you is what I did differently between those two. So once again, the first 
type of bonking for me was like that mile 21, I feel like I can't go any further. Second type of bonking was I'm really, really tired and I don't want to keep going further, but I can, even though it's extremely painful. So um, here's what I did differently. The first, well, I, I think the most important is fueling and hydrating properly before race, before the race. And, and, and we're talking for a full week or two weeks. So if you go back, we talked about this with Kelsey, as I mentioned, but we also had another episode with Britt Giles. This was early on in season two. And she shared kind of that you should be hydrating really a solid couple of weeks or, or about a week before. And you should be increasing your carb intake slowly over that week or two before as well. You know, a lot of people talk about carb loading the night before, you know, and, and then we watch the funny episode of The Office where Michael Scott takes the, you know, eats the pasta the morning of. These are all things that I think people get wrong. And so me really putting a focus on increasing my hydration, just drinking tons and tons of water that week before the race, um, knowing that I can't, I can't hydrate a bunch the morning of the race. Because if I get to the morning of the race and I'm just chugging water, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to have to stop and go to the bathroom constantly during the race. So really by hydrating yourself that week before, um, the night before, and then knowing that you can wake up race morning, have a little bit of water, but you don't need to be chugging water. So that was super helpful. And then from a fueling standpoint, you know, making sure you're eating enough. I remember before my first marathon, I didn't want to, you know, overdo it. So I had like a small bowl of pasta the night before. And like, that was it. I, I really just underfueled. I wasn't taking in enough. I would say, you know, make sure you stick to Kelsey Beckman's recommendation of not having a bunch of oily, fatty foods that week leading up to the race. And really, as you're training, those are like saturated fats. Those are those are foods that we should be avoiding in general, if possible, like fried foods, um, really focusing on some some good, clean carbs, some, you know, some starchy carbs that that night before, like potatoes are really good. Um, I, I like to go get like a Jimmy John's sandwich if you're not familiar with jimmy john's it's just a sandwich shop but you know some white bread some turkey nothing on nothing on there just super basic but just making sure that i'm eating and uh, enough and increasing my carb intake kind of with the mentality of a little bit more than maybe i need is better than less than i need so the, the next thing that i did differently between kind of that first type of race where i hit the wall and the second type of race where i hit a better wall, I should say, um, it was controlling your heart rate. So that first race I went in without any regard to my heart rate, just kind of booking it at the beginning with that adrenaline rush that you feel at the start line. Um, and, and the second race, you know, it was really looking down at my watch periodically, measuring my heart rate, making sure I wasn't getting up too high, making sure that I was comfortable, that I could sustain that pace for a really long time. Because when your heart rate's too high, you're then burning more calories and you're going to bunk much sooner. So I think that is such an important point. That's going to take a lot of trial and error. It's going to take a lot of practicing and figuring out, you know, what's a comfortable heart rate for you? Um, what's something that's sustainable? You know, for me, if I can maintain kind of in the high 150s, low 160s while I'm in a race, then I, I feel pretty comfortable. Um, I know that'll be different for other people, but... Um, 
you know, if I'm running up in the 170s, 180s, really giving it a full effort at the start line, then there's no chance I'm going to be able to, to finish out strong. So the next thing is the fueling strategy while you're actually in the race. So it's one thing to eat enough before the race and the week leading up to it. But it's another thing to fuel properly during the race. So some things that I did differently the first time around, I took some gels and I didn't really have a rhyme or reason for when to take them. I kind of took them as I felt like it was convenient or, you know, I had some general guidance that you should be taking uh, some gels every 30 minutes or so. Um, But I kind of lost track and I didn't really have it dialed in. Whereas my second and third marathon, I had a very specific plan. How much was I going to take and when? So um, if you go back once again, and I know I keep referring back to this, but because it was so helpful, Kelsey really breaks down how many carbs you should be taking in while you're racing. And a general rule of thumb that I've stuck to that's helped me tremendously is taking your body weight, dividing it by four, and that's the amount of grams of carbs that you should be taking in per hour while you're racing. And some people say to even increase that more, some people say 60 to 90 grams while you're racing, but I really think it's going to depend on what you're comfortable with, what your stomach can handle, and how you practice throughout your training. But start there as a, as a baseline. So once again, take your weight, divide by four, and that would be the, the number of you know grams of carbs. So I'll give you just my example. Um, I weigh like 185 in that ballpark. Um, so I'll just round up to 200. And of course, a quarter of that would be 50. So I need to take about 50 grams of carbs per hour while I'm running. And uh, and once again, this only applies if you're running for about an hour and 15, hour and a half or more. So if you're running like a 10K, um, probably not needed to take any, any fuel. But um, okay, so going back to that, for me, I get the Honey Stinger Chews. They're like little, little round kind of like kind of like fruit snacks but it's made by honey stinger and and for for whatever reason those i do really well with whereas um i've tried like the gatorade blocks i i don't do well with those i i always have gi issues so the honey stingers um i actually stuck exclusively to the 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 chews this race um versus taking in gels and that was mostly because the store was sold out of gels but um each pack of those is about 40 grams or so So what I did is I made sure to eat an entire pack each hour and then supplement the remaining kind of 10 or so with Gatorade that they were serving at the water stations. So this kind of leads into my next point, which is hydrating properly while you're racing. So if what I did, each each, uh, aid station came about every two to three miles towards the beginning and then every mile the last six or seven miles. So what I did differently in my second and third marathon versus my first was I actually took the time to stop, to walk through the the aid station, take a good drink, a a full cup of or half cup or whatever they're serving of Gatorade, and then go to the water station. You know, if it's hot, dump a a, a cup of water on my head, drink a cup of water and then go. Whereas my first marathon, I tried running through the aid stations the whole time. And the problem was I wasn't getting enough in my mouth. It was spilling all over me. I thought I can't afford to take 10 to 15 seconds to walk because that's going to be over the course of the marathon. That's going to be a lot of of missed time. But what I'm going to tell you is if you just take a good 15 seconds to really 
collect yourself, get in a good drink, make sure that you're, you're, you know, uh, taking in the, the Gatorade and the water and dumping it on yourself. If, if that's something that helps you, um, you're gonna, you're gonna make up that 15 seconds over the course of the next couple miles. No problem. Um, and if it's going to keep you from bonking super hard at the end of the race, then it's totally worth it because you're going to lose minutes uh, if that happens versus uh, just seconds while you're going through the aid station. So once again, fueling strategy, took the gels, I mean, sorry, the, the chews, um, made sure that I had one full packet. And the other thing with chews that I really like is you can space them out as much as you want. So for example, with a gel, you can kind of sip a little bit, kind of hold it, sip a little bit more. But with chews, you can literally grab one at a time because there's probably 10 to 12 chews in each packet. So what I usually will do is from from the very beginning, maybe around mile three, I'm already starting to put them in my mouth. And I'm kind of sucking on them or chewing them and just slowly taking them in, just slowly giving myself that fuel that I need. And I'm making sure that through the course of that hour, I'm taking the whole packet, but I'm not shoving the whole packet in my mouth all at once. So it's happening kind of throughout the course of that hour. Okay, hour one is done. Now I start a new, I open up a new packet and I'm following the same strategy. And you could do, all right, every five minutes, I'm going to have a new a new chew. Or every, you know, I'm just going to have one and then, uh, you know, maybe take another one here in another minute from now uh, and then maybe take another one and then I'm going to get to an aid station and, 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 you know, wash it down with some water. Whatever your strategy is, um, you can figure that out during training, but, but, but make sure that you're taking in enough fuel. And I think that's the key here is under fueling while you're out actually racing is going to be detrimental. And that's something that happened in my first race versus my second and third. So once again, my difference in hitting the wall was drastic and it comes down to these things that I'm sharing with you now. Um, I'm going to share two more with you. And that is mentally distracting yourself. So when you are thinking constantly about, I have how many more miles, how many more steps, and your body is completely shutting down, it becomes like a seeming, excuse me, a seemingly impossible task. But if you distract yourself, then you're just not letting your mind go there. So one thing that I do, and this sounds funny, but I actually listen to a really funny podcast that I enjoy. So just something super lighthearted. Hey, maybe it's our podcast. Um, I would not be offended if it's not. For me, it's The Office Ladies because I love the show The Office. So I actually saved an episode of their uh, podcast for when I got to that point mentally where I really needed a distraction. Whatever it is for you, it could be a podcast. It could be a song that you sing or a song that you listen to. Uh, maybe it's a running buddy that's with you that you can talk to. Whatever the case may be, try to distract your mind from that, that mental hurdle of, uh, how you're going to get to the end. And, you know, I, I think the other thing that really helped me in my second and third races was taking those last aid stations as sort of a checkpoint, sort of a milestone and saying, okay, I just need, I don't need to make it six more miles. I just need to make it to the next aid station. And then when I get there, I'm going to take a slow break. I'm going to get in some water. I'm going to really uh, get some Gatorade in and I'm going to feel good. And then I'm going to go again. And then, okay, I'm going to just set the goal of making it to that next aid station. And that really worked for me because I broke it down into these bite-sized, you know, one mile at a time. Don't worry about the end of the race. Just get to each aid station, run through it, 
Um, when you get to the aid station, then walk, you know, and, and then you're kind of doing this walk run interval, but it's not like you're doing a walk run every 30 seconds or so. Now, I just want to point out if you're the, if you're, if you're doing a walk run strategy through your marathon, that's of course acceptable. There's no one out there saying that you can't walk run and that makes you less of a marathoner. My point here is if, if you're going for a specific time and you want to be consistent and you want to be able to try to, to get to the finish line as quickly as possible, and you're following a mostly run strategy, um, that that's what I'm referring to here. And that's what I've done. And, uh, I, I, even then I think it's okay to kind of take those aid stations as checkpoints. So hopefully that's helpful for you. And the last thing that I want to talk about is that experience is going to help you get past the mental hurdle. If it's your first race and you've never run 26.2 miles, then you've never been there mentally. You don't know that you can do it. You think you can, You've trained for it. People have told you you can do it, but you haven't personally experienced crossing that finish line. And once you do, it unlocks a whole new mindset, you know, mentally where where you know that you can do it now. So the next time, it's not going to be about whether or not you can finish. You already know you can finish. Now it's how quickly can you finish or how strong can you finish? And so that was a, a huge difference for me between my first and my second and my third marathons was Second and third, I already knew that I could finish. So when it got hard and my body was fatigued and I didn't want to keep going, I knew that just by slowing down and walking and and just hitting that wall and not finishing strong, I knew that that would just mean I would be out on the course longer and that I would just be more exhausted. And so mentally, it, it helped me kick myself into gear and say, no, I know I can do this. Just keep going. I know it's hard but I'm not going to die. You know, I'm not going to be left out here. And so it really kind of takes a lot of that pressure off. So my point in sharing that is experience helps be consistent. Keep running. Don't get discouraged. If you hit that wall really hard on that first marathon, that's okay. It's kind of part of the territory. It's, it's probably just going to happen if you haven't, you know, experienced it before. Um, and your definition of what the wall is might, might be very you know, ambiguous. And so just get through your first marathon, stay consistent and, and keep going. So look, guys, I haven't yet cracked the code of what it is to not feel fatigued um, at the end of a race. And and I'm sure the pros, you know, have figured that out. And I'm sure that they know what it feels like to kind of stay strong through the end. I haven't personally figured that out. I would love to, but I have a feeling, you know, I just have a feeling that everybody who runs a marathon gets fatigued at the end. I could be wrong, but I I just think that it comes with the territory of the distance. So regardless of what I'm sharing, it's going to get hard. There is almost nothing, in my opinion, that you can do from physically feeling fatigued at the end of a race and slowing slightly. Um... I could be wrong. You know, I'm not claiming to be a, a, a running expert here. I'm only sharing with you the experience that I've had and what I've learned from these various marathons. But what I can tell you is that I've had a drastic difference in experience between my first and then my second and third. So once again, to review, fuel and hydrate properly before the race. And that comes with, you know, fueling properly the week or two before. Number two, control your heart rate. 
Number three, your fueling strategy while you're on the race. Make sure you dial that in. Number four, hydrating properly while you're racing. Number five, mentally distract yourself. And number six, be consistent and through experience, you will get better. Thanks everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Hope this was helpful. Hope this helps you stop hitting the wall, sort of, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Follow us on Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this running journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify, searching B-R-E-K-K.